Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14. That's where we'll be beginning our lesson this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And we're going to talk about a character in the Bible that is, is one that sometimes is overshadowed by actually his best friend, that's David. And this, this character is Jonathan, the prince of Israel. And just before we get started, I just want to say it's so good to be here with you this morning, studying from the Word of God and being able to sing praises unto Him. Please uh, look at the Scriptures as I am, uh, as we are, we are going through them. Please make sure that everything that I am saying comes from the Scriptures and that uh, if I am in error in any way, if you be my friend to tell me that and we can discuss that and make sure that we are uh, correctly dividing God's Word. So just a little bit of background about Jonathan. Jonathan was the heir to the throne of Israel's first dynasty. He was the son of Saul. And as the son of Saul, he would be the next king once Saul passes on. And this is very important to Jonathan's story, as we'll see later on. Uh, and Saul was the first king of, of Israel after they had gone to the promised land and experienced uh, many years there under the judges. The, the people wanted a king, and so... Samuel had, had anointed Saul king, and then this is where we are at when we uh, begin in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, verse 1. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree which is in Migran. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah the son of Adutub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag on one side and a sharp crag on the other. And the name of one is Bozes, and the name of the other is Shinnah. The one crag rose up north opposite Michmash, and on the other side opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet with his armor-bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer, put to death some after him as well. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
was about 20 men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp and in the field and among the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled and the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. So in this passage that we read, this is the first time we really get to know Jonathan. We learn a lot about Jonathan, but before we get into that, I just wanted to, to read this for, for context. Uh, just in the, in the story of Jonathan, that, that he is, he is a, a, a mighty warrior in Saul's army. And he's able to do great things for Saul, as we see here. But as we know in the next chapter, in chapter 15, uh, Saul doesn't handle things quite as we would, would have hoped. Turn over to First uh, Samuel chapter 15, uh, verses 10 and 11. Then the word, the, Lord of the, uh, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Those of you that, that know this story very well, God had, through Samuel, told Saul to go out and utterly destroy the Amalekites. That meant completely wipe them out, men, women, children, all their, their oxen, and everything. And yet, Saul doesn't do that. And so, for this reason, Saul was rejected as king of Israel. And so this, this will put Jonathan in a, in a tough spot, as we'll see here in a little bit. Let's, con- let's continue down in verse 17. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on a mission which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil and the sheep and the choices of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. Let's just stop right here for a second. Saul doesn't understand that when the Lord tells you to do something, he doesn't want your opinion. He wants you to do it. And although Saul was a great warrior and had the, the people behind him, he thought too highly of himself. He thought so highly of himself here that he thought he knew better than God. So let's continue in verse 22, and let's see why this is so wrong. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. So here we see that God is finally fed up with Saul and, real, and, and has come to, to bring his judgment on Saul because Saul will, will not fully turn back to God. And so this then prompts 
in the next chapter, which we're, we're not going to read for the sake of time, God to anoint David as the true king of Israel. And then we, we, not, we all know the story in, ver, in chapter 17 where David kills Goliath, right? And, he, and because he kills Goliath, he gets to be in Saul's army. And so all these people, Jonathan, Saul, and David are in the same place. And they all have choices to make. Some of them made good choices. Some of them made bad choices. And we're going to see what Jonathan did. Let's go back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to look, look at some of the characteristics of Jonathan. As we see in the first 15 verses, we can see that he is a valiant warrior. It says in verse 14 that the first slaughter that, that him and the armor bearer had was about 20 men. So, you know, I, I don't play sports very often, but I can tell you if it was two on 20, I probably would lose every time. But because Jonathan had God on his side and that he was a valiant warrior, he was able to, to take down 20 men of the Philistines. Much like David when he takes down Goliath. This little person that, you know, is half the stature of a, of a ginormous man who has killed many people. The same thing is true of Jonathan. We also see that Jonathan trusts in God. He doesn't trust in his own ability to, to overtake the Philistines. He, then, he first uh, looks to God for strength. In verse 6 it says, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. So Jonathan didn't say here, let's go over because we can, we can take them of our own strength. Me and, me and you, we got this. These however many hundreds of, of Philistines that are up there, we, we're, we're pretty strong, we can take it. He said, let's make, let's, maybe God will give, us and give them into our hands. Let's look down in verse 10. He says, But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands. And this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines says, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes which they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. There's a contrast here between the attitude of Saul in the previous or in, in the reading we did in chapter 15 and, and in Jonathan's here. Jonathan is waiting for the Lord. He is looking for the Lord to be in everything he does instead of doing what he wants to do and then asking God to accept it, which is what Saul continuously did over and over. We also see that he is a wise leader. Look over in uh, 1 Samuel 14, verse 24. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day, for Saul had put a, un, the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and until I have avenged myself on my enemies. None of the people tasted food. Just pause right there. Again, you can see Saul's pride here in, the, in this commandment. It's, it's basically useless other than, than Saul saying, as long as I'm not, I haven't got my vengeance, then you all have to suffer as well. 
Let's continue in verse 25. All the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath of Saul. But Jonathan had not heard when his father had put the people under oath. Therefore he put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the people ran up to him saying, Your father strictly put the people under oath saying, Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were, were, were weary. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more then if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they have found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been as great. So we can see here that Jonathan understood that foolish orders like the one that Saul put together in verse 24 were not good for God. They were not good for the people. And let's look down in, in verse 32. And actually this causes sin to enter into Israel. Verse 32, The people rushed greedily upon the spoil, and they took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. They told Saul this, saying, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have acted treacherously. Roll a great stone for me today. So Saul's order not only kept the, the slaughter of the Philistines to be lower, it also caused the people to sin because they were so hungry. And so Saul's, you know, it, it's, it's no coincidence that in the next chapter that, that God's patience with Saul uh, ends because Saul's commandments continue to hinder the kingdom of Israel. But Jonathan was not like this. He was a good leader. He was a wise leader. He's also a judge of good character. Let's look over in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now this is right after David had killed Goliath and uh, came back into the camp and, and obviously Jonathan would have been there as, as the king's son. And he's you know, getting the, the praise of, the, of the, the army and all the people. And undoubtedly, uh, Jonathan would have would have seen what David did and how he spoke to, to Goliath and, and the bravery that he showed and the fact that he gave it, gave all of the glory and all of the purpose of, of killing Goliath to God. Let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. You know, I think sometimes we forget how important it is to have people around us that, that love God and that keep us honest. You can tell that Jonathan was looking for people like that. Looking for people that truly believed in the Lord and truly believed God. And so much so that he, when he saw David, he didn't wait to say, you're my brother, and we will forever be brothers. I mean, this, this kid, this, this young man, David, 
You know, he comes out of nowhere. You know, uh, someone with a, a lesser heart would have been jealous, which Jonathan's father, Saul, actually became jealous, as we'll see later on of David. But Jonathan wasn't. Jonathan loved David as himself because he realized that David wasn't fighting for David. He wasn't even fighting for his family or for riches or wealth or fame. He was fighting for God. And that's what Jonathan was doing as well. But as we see later on in this chapter, Saul becomes jealous of David. And this causes an issue between him and Jonathan. So let's look at in uh, verses 14 through 16 of chapter 18. Now David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. And he went out and came in before them. If you go up and look as well in, uh, in verse 6 and 7 of this chapter, it says that it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul looked on David with suspicion from this day on. So even, it wasn't just that, that David did something good, but someone said something good about David. And that's what triggers Saul to turn on him. To dislike David from from now on. And the reason why is that the Lord was with David. And in the previous chapters, we've seen that the Lord had left Saul. And it undoubtedly troubled Saul that the Lord had left him because it wasn't what Saul wanted. Saul wanted to do what he wanted to do and he wanted God to be with him. But God doesn't work that way. And David knew that and so did Jonathan. And the people of Israel were also with David. It seems to me if, we, if they were to have an election in that time, David probably would have won over Saul because of the great things that David had did through God. And even Saul's family loved David. Turn over in uh, the same chapter in verse 28. Saul had uh, given his, his daughter Michael... To, to David to marry, to kind of, uh, you know, be a spy or to, to kind of put a wedge between, between David and, and Saul. But what actually happens is uh, his daughter loves him because David is that good of a guy. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. And it's not anything that David had done of, of his own pride or his own, uh, his own wanting to, to become king. God had chosen David for this. This wasn't David trying to be the new king. This wasn't David trying to overthrow Saul. This is what, this is what God's will was being done. 
And so Jonathan has a big decision to make at this point. Jonathan is the son of the, of the first king, Saul. And the second king, the second, the new king, David, is there with him as well. And so does he back Saul as king, his father, his dad? Or does he back David? What is he supposed to do? What about Saul? I mean, after Saul dies, Jonathan would get to keep the kingdom, right? So that's a reason to be, to back Saul, to go after David, to betray David, because then he, Jonathan would have the kingdom. He would inherit the kingdom, and he would continue to serve his father as long as his father was alive. And Jonathan's dynasty would be established. Instead of reading about David, maybe we'd be reading about Jonathan in, the, in 2 Samuel. And Saul is his father. I don't know about you, but it'd be awful hard for me to turn against my dad. I love my dad a lot. Even if, even if he was as, as, as evil as a man as Saul, it would be difficult for, for Jonathan to turn against his father. And if Jonathan chooses Saul, it means he would have to maybe kill David. David was his best friend. David served God. And not only would he have to kill David, but that means he would have to do something against God's will because David was the rightful king. And this would potentially cause a civil war. Many people would die because Jonathan chose Saul. So what if he supports David? What, is, what, what would it look like? He might be second in command in the kingdom. Because Jonathan and David were best friends. Surely David would recognize or has recognized how good of a warrior Saul, or that uh, Jonathan is. And that, you know, he helped him overthrow his dad so that they could start this new kingdom. So surely, if he backs David, then he could be second in command in the kingdom. And Saul wasn't good to Jonathan. There's a lot of things that Saul says, as we'll see later on, that show Saul really didn't love Jonathan the way that he should have. And if, and if David's king, then, you know, the nation will truly serve God and it will all be better. But this means that he would have to kill his dad. Because, as we've seen before, Saul is not going to let go of the throne if he's alive. And, again, if because of, of Saul's power in the army, this would cause another civil war between Israel and however many thousands of people would die because of this choice. And Jonathan also knew the consequences of killing Saul or David because they were the Lord's anointed. Despite the fact that Saul had forsaken God, he was still the Lord's anointed. And there were consequences for the man or the woman who killed the Lord's anointed. Turn over in 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And this is actually David here speaking. But... With that said, because David and, Saul and Jonathan's hearts were so attuned to each other, I can, I, it's not a jump to say that Jonathan felt the same way as, as, as David does here. 1 Samuel chapter 24, we'll start in verse 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En When Saul took 3,000 chosen men 
from all Israel and went to seek David and all his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord has said to you. Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall go up to, to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So just pause there for just a second. He didn't even hurt Saul in any way. He just cut a bit of cloth off the edge of his robe, and, and David felt guilty for that. I mean, that's, that, that tells you where David's heart was, that he cared that much for Saul. And, and because of this, he says what he says in verse 6. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord. He's talking about Saul, little L, not, not the Lord God. The Lord's anointed to stretch up my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. And with this, David persuaded his, man, his men and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. And we also see a little bit more into this in, in chapter 26 as well. Chapter 26 is a similar situation. Chapter 26, starting in verse 5. David then arose and came to the place where Saul had camped. And David saw, where Saul, uh, saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner and the commander of his army. And Saul was lying in a circle of the camp, and the people were camped around him. Then David said to Abimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zerai, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go down with me to the camp, or to Saul's camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the people were lying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who could stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come and he dies. Or he will go out into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let's go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from Saul's head and they went away, but no one ever saw it or knew it, nor did anyone awake, for they were all asleep because the sound of sleep was from the Lord, and it had fallen upon them. So we see in these two verses that there were not only consequences physically for killing the king like a civil war, but there were spiritual consequences because Saul was the Lord's anointed. And even though David was also the Lord's anointed, it did not give him the right to kill Saul did not give him permission from God to kill Saul. So if Jonathan had killed Saul or David, then he would be under the wrath of the Lord until his dying day. And that's not something that he wanted. So 
Let's see what choice that Jonathan makes. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. So just a little context before we get started into this passage. Saul had created a plot to kill David, and Jonathan learns about it. And so Jonathan goes to meet David in the field, and they hatch a plan to make sure that David escapes Saul, that Saul does not kill David. So 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day, and you shall remain by the stone easel. I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I have shot at a target. And behold, I will send the lad saying, Go find the arrows. If I specifically say to the lad, Behold, the arrows are on the side of you, get them, then come, for there is safety for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, Behold, the arrows are beyond you, go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. I think this is the realization that for Jonathan, that for David to be king, his dad would have to perish, and also himself. Because he realizes that if he's still alive, Jonathan, that some people might want to back him instead of David. And so at this point, Jonathan makes the hard choice of sending David away. Let's continue in verse 24. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat at his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. Then Jonathan rose up, and Abner sat down by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, It is an accident. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. It came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was still empty. So Saul asked Jonathan, his son, Why is the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan then answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem, for he said, Please let me go, since our family has sacrificed in the city, and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me get away, that I might see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. So Jonathan covers for David. But Saul sees right through it. He knows that Jonathan told David about their plot to kill him. In verse 30, Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, send him to me, for he must surely die. So Saul's true nature again shows through. He doesn't care about Jonathan, only that, he, his, that Saul's dynasty continues. He doesn't care that Jonathan would have to kill his best friend, a servant of God, and the Lord's anointed. And Jonathan's answer to Saul is perfect here. 
Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? And this, this question is one that Saul had probably asked himself many times, had justified in his mind why he should kill David. And instead of answering Jonathan's question, what does Saul do? In verse 33, Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down, so that Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. So we see here that Jonathan was right to not bring David to the feast. Because if he had, Saul would have tried to kill him. So let's see what Jonathan, is, you know, Jonathan goes through with his plan here. Verse 35, Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. And he said to his lad, Run, find now the arrows which I am about to shoot. As the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. And when the, the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, Hurry, be quick, and do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. So Jonathan warns David, through their coded message that it's not safe. You've got to go. We can't. You can't be here anymore or my dad's going to try to kill you. Which must, must have been difficult for Jonathan, seeing how close they are. Let's look down in verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety inasmuch as you have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between you and me and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. So from, from here on, Jonathan, we don't have any recorded um, interactions between John, Jonathan and David uh, from this point on. And it must have been difficult for Jonathan to, to let someone with such great ability and such great love for the Lord to go like this. So who did Jonathan choose? Did he choose Saul? Or did he choose David? Let's keep that in our, in our minds as we, we read how Jonathan's story ends. Turn over with me to the 31st chapter of 1 Samuel. Thir chapter 31. And we will begin... In verses 1, one and, and read through verse 7. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell the slain at Mount Geboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Malachashua, the sons of Saul. The battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it, otherwise these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. 
When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his own sword and died with him. Thus Saul died with his three sons on his armor bearer, and all his men went on that day together. So we see here that at the end of 1 Samuel, that they're fighting the Philistines, and Saul and Jonathan and all his sons die. So from some, if someone is uh, thinking physically, this is great for David, right? His arch nemesis is dead. He should be rejoicing. He didn't have to kill Saul. Look, I, you know, now I've got the kingdom. I didn't have to work for it. But let's see what David does when he hears of Saul's death. Just turn over the next page in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now it came about after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that David remained two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, a man out of Saul's camp came with his torch clone and dust on his head. And it came about when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. Then David said to him, From where do you come? And he said to him, I have escaped the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did things go? Please tell me. I don't think that David is asking if things have gone bad. He's not hoping that things have gone bad. He's happy, hoping that things have gone good because he cares for Saul and Jonathan. And he said, The people have fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. So David said to the young man who was with him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. The young man told him, said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gobo, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. Then I looked beyond him, he saw me and called to me, and I said, Here I am. He said, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Please stand beside me and kill me, for agony has seized me, because my life still lingers in me. So I stood beside him and killed him. Because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm. And I brought them to you, my Lord. Don't you think this guy, he thinks that when he comes up to David, he's, he's going to be rewarded for bringing these things to David. Saying, look, your enemy's dead. You can be king now. That's not what David's response is. Verse 11. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with them. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who, was, who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am an alien, an Amalekite. Then David said to him, How is it that you are not afraid to stretch out your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called out to one of the young men, and said, Go, cut him down. So he struck him, and he died. And David said to him, Your blood is on your head, for your mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So we see here that Jonathan's story doesn't end the way that we would have liked it to, right? We would have liked him to gone and, and served David all the days of his life and been a mighty warrior for Israel. But that's not how this ends. We can learn a few lessons from Jonathan's story. And I would, I would implore you to read this for yourself, read these passages for yourself, 
and go deeper than I am able to with this amount of time to touch this story because there is so much that can be gleaned from that. But we're just going to look at a few things that we can see from Jonathan's story. Our actions have consequences on others. Don't ever think that your sin or any sin that you may commit only affects you. It can affect your family. It can affect your friends. It can affect your brethren. And that's what happened to Jonathan. Saul's sin affected Jonathan. And we need to be careful that our sin, that we don't do sin, because it could affect other people. Also, we can see through Jonathan's service of Saul that we can still serve masters, as we talked about this morning in our Bible class, that are unruly, that are not God-fearing, and still serve God and still be faithful to Him. And sin does not solve problems. More sin... If Jonathan decided he was to kill Saul or to kill David, that would be sin. And that wouldn't solve any problems. It would just create more. More trouble. More sin and more grief. David and Jonathan were wise for, for, not, killing, uh, for not killing Saul. And letting God decide what happens to his kingdom. Because in, in the end, it's God's will. God's will will be done. And it could have been what happened in uh, Genesis 22 with, with, uh, with Abraham and Isaac, where God spares Isaac. Even though Abraham was willing to give him up, God still spared him. Jonathan and David didn't know for certain that Jonathan would have to die, or that even Saul would have to die for David to be king. But they trusted God, and that's truly what mattered. And they also realize that God will take vengeance on the, on the enemies of Israel. And they will take, he will take vengeance on the enemies of Christians as well. And so, had Jonathan or David been a lesser man, they would have seen only the physical things that they could have gained from taking over the kingdom and killing Saul. They could have seen, well, look, I get to be king or I get to be the second in command. I get, to be, I get to have all the wealth and all the status that comes with being a leader of a nation. I, I get to be king. I, I'm the king. I, no one else, answer, I'd answer no one. And Saul's my dad, so I've got to follow him and do everything he says right, because he's my dad. He's, he's family. Family's always right. Family above all else. But Jonathan doesn't do that. Because Jonathan didn't follow Saul or, da- or David because they were just men. He followed God. We are always given the option to follow God. Turn over with me real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 13 it says, No temptation is overtaking you such that is not common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Do you think it was difficult for, De- for Jonathan to be in Saul's camp after all the things that Saul did to him? What we read in chapter 20, where he hurled the spirit where David was sitting, because he knew f- for certain there was no way David was going to come back. 
But Jonathan continued to serve the Lord. Turn over to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. And that's what Jonathan did. Our true allegiance is to God. It's not to the United States of America. It's not to the state of Kentucky. It's not to Pulaski County, City of Somerset, wherever we may be. Our true allegiances are to God. It's not to the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, whatever party we ascribe to. Our true allegiance is to God. And our life should reflect that. Because Jonathan's life did. And God always keeps his promises. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Whatever things are gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss and the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Don't you see this attitude in Jonathan? Jonathan lost his kingdom. He lost his best friend. He lost the trust of his family. He lost his job. But he realized that's what the Lord's will was. The Lord was between his family and David's forever. And so he realized that being true to God was more important than any of that stuff. But we as Christians, we have a promise, even more so than what Jonathan would have known back then. Turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 2. This will be the last verse before we conclude our sermon. Titus chapter 2, and verse 11, verse 4 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteous and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself for a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. We are redeemed by God. If we're Christians... We, we just got to do what God asks us to do, and we've got it made. So why are we listening to men? Why are we looking to men? Even though David was a tremendous guy, he wrote large passages in the Bible, in Psalms, and he was a prophet. He was not God, and Jonathan knew that. Jonathan knew that trusting God was the most important thing. We must do the same thing. If you're here this morning and, and you're a Christian and you have forgotten what it means to truly follow after God, please speak to somebody here. Reconcile yourself to God. We can help you. We can, do, uh, we can study with you. We can figure out what is troubling you and, and help you in any way. If you're not a Christian and you don't, you don't know what it means to be a Christian. The plan of salvation is this, to hear the word, to believe it, to confess it, to 
repent and be baptized and remain faithful the rest of your life. If there's anyone who has any need, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.